0: Um, this morning, we are continuing in the book of Galatians. Uh, we're in Galatians chapter 3 now. Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 uh, through chapter 4, verse 7. So Galatians three twenty-six through 4, 7 is where we're at this morning. We're going to cover that text. And, and the, the title of today's sermon is, What Makes Christianity Unique? What Makes Christianity Unique? unique. We've been talking about the law for the last several messages and uh, we, we saw last week even what the purpose of the law was and now we want to move and we want to see well what, what is it that makes Christianity unique? What what makes it different from other world religions and why is it something that you know we should gravitate towards rather than towards the other religions in this in this world. What makes Christianity unique? Galatians chapter three Beginning in verse twenty six, let me let me read that for us, and uh, then we'll pray and we'll dive in. He says, "For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many as you were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave." though he is the owner of everything but he is under guardians and managers until the debts date set by his father in the same way we also when we were children were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world but when the fullness of time had come god sent forth his son born of woman born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons and because you are sons god has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts crying abba a Father, so you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. Yeah. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, we thank you for this morning, and this opportunity to open your word, yeah. to hear from it. And God, as we do this morning, help us to understand well, what is it that makes Christianity unique? What makes it, what makes it different? God, we ask that you would t- allow us to take this idea that we learned this morning that we would apply it to our life, that we would be able to share it with others, God, so that they might be drawn into your kingdom as well. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, Shark Tank is one of my favorite shows to watch, And it's been one of my favorite shows for a while. And, and if you're not familiar, Shark Tank is like a venture capital reality show, except that the investors who are called the Sharks, um, they, they, they do a lot to help the business become profitable. They don't, just, they don't just throw money at it and say, okay, you guys go out and do your thing. Make me some money off of the money that, that you know, you're making from your business and the money that I've given you. No, they actually become a part of the business. They, they actually get in there and they help make the business uh, successful because they become a part owner. One of the cool things about Shark Tank then is that that your average entrepreneur, that they can walk into the tank is what they they call that set there when you see it on TV. They can walk into the tank, they can make a deal with, with one of those sharks, and they can become a wildly successful business owner. Sometimes Overnight, you know, they'll do these, these recaps and they'll talk about people who came on the show and, and how, you know, they thought that they were prepared for all of the orders that they were going to get, but but it just completely amazed them or, or they thought they were prepared. And they thought they knew what was going to happen, but then, you know, they became millionaires in like a year a- after coming on the show and so you can go on there and you can become wildly successful now that doesn't mean that it doesn't require a lot of hard work because it definitely requires a lot of, of hard work but getting on the show and having a shark on your team is definitely an advantage. Now as you watch the show you see a lot of a lot of unique products and this is what I like to see not only the business aspect of it but I like to see the different products that, that people are coming out with and, and one of the products on one of the shows was, was this product Called Lumio. Now, Lumio, what they do is they make and they sell portable lamps. And you think, portable lamps? I mean, that doesn't sound like too unique. But, but this was a different type of lamp. It was actually a lamp that was built into a book. And so you would take this book and you would put it in your book bag, just like you would with any of your other books or your bag, and, and you take it along with you wherever you're at. And, and if you decide you need a little bit of light, well, you take the book out and you open it up right there in front of you and, and it illuminates your your workspace and and this portable lamp it's a unique design on it and, and it 's proven to be a successful unique design on this on this lamp now i'm sure i 'm sure that you have all seen some unique and successful design changes in the past unique takes on everyday items that that when you see them you're like man that, that really makes sense like I, that, that does like why didn 't i I think of that right we all have that mentality right why didn't I think of that it just seems so simple it makes so much sense these people were getting rich off of this why didn't I think of that but you know we can all be designers after the fact right like we can all be armchair quarterbacks on Monday morning well why didn't they do this and why didn't they do that why didn't I think of that the truth of the matter though is that coming up with a unique design is is not easy if it were, we, we would all do it. And there would be unique designs all, all the time. And who knows, maybe unique wouldn't even be a word in the dictionary then. But uniqueness is, can, be, can be difficult. And just like Lumio is unique, Christianity is unique. And what's unique about Christianity? Well, we see in verse 26, the text tells us, For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. You see, in a world with with more religions than can be counted, the the Christian perspective is unique because we actually become a part of God's family. Many, if not all, I don't want to generalize too much, but but many, if not not all religions present God as this impersonal God who we really cannot get to know intimately. We're kept at arm's length. And as a result, there's anxiety that, that builds in, in the followers of that God. There, there's bondage that, that takes place. Anxiety because we, we just simply don't know where we stand. Bondage because we're, we have to keep on working, hoping that the work we are doing is earning us favor with that God. While it's characteristic of other religions, that is not so of Christianity. We aren't kept at arm's length. We aren't left anxiously wondering where we stand and say we have this relationship with God that is sure, that is that is intimate, and that's because we are actually adopted into God's family. We become His children, and He's our Father. And that's what makes Christianity unique. Commenting on that idea, one commentator and theologian, Sinclair Ferguson, says this: "The notion that we are children of God." His own sons and daughters is the mainspring of Christian living. Our sonship of God is the apex of creation and the goal of redemption. You see, having God as Father is is not only what makes Christianity unique, but, but a restored relationship with God so that we can enjoy Him, so that we can bring Him glory. I mean, that is the actual goal of Christianity. Christianity is not primarily then about us just getting to heaven so that we can see loved ones. It's not primarily about us living our our best life now. It's not about us avoiding suffering and experiencing God's blessing. Instead, it's about us experiencing an unhindered relationship with God that is intimate. We can actually call God our Father. Martin Lloyd-Jones writes this, The Lord Jesus Christ did not come to earth merely to give us an exalted teaching, which we can apply to human relationships, though that is there and it follows. He did not merely come to save us from hell. He came to bring us into fellowship with the Father and with Himself. And Christianity is unique because we actually become children of God. That is not a, a universal fact. While while everyone is is created by God, not everyone is a part of God's family. In other words, we aren't all sons of God, and that's because we become sons of God through faith. It's not like we're born and we're sons of God. No, we we become sons of God through faith. Again, in verse 26, Paul says, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. Faith. And while that last phrase, through faith, it almost seems like an afterthought. It seems like it's just, just something that's just tacked on there to the end. And it is really an, an, important, an important phrase. You see, words matter. And when, when the biblical writer places words in the text, we have to ask, why are those words there? We can't just overlook some words. We have to look at all of the words. And so in this case, we see that, that through faith, that last phrase that is added right there at the end of this verse is important. It's the crux of the whole matter. It tells us exactly how we become a child of God. And that's through faith. Yeah. Now, what is faith? Many people have these questions. Well, what is faith? Well, what does it mean to have, have faith? Well, well, first we have to know that well, we have to have faith in. And we have to have faith in Jesus. And faith is not just a, a blind leap in the dark. No, faith is the sure trust and belief that Jesus' death on the cross actually paid the price for our sins. You see, without his sacrifice, our relationship with the Father would would still be severed, and we we would still be facing his wrath. But Jesus died in our place. Jesus spilt his blood for us so that we might have a relationship with the Father. And we can believe these truths. We can believe those because our God is a promise-keeping God who has kept His promises for centuries upon centuries, for, for millennia including his promise to send a Savior, right? I mean, we've been looking at this and we've seen that that even before the foundations of the world, God has made this promise and he kept this promise all throughout biblical history. As you read through the Bible, it is consistently pointing to the Savior that is going to come. There are promises upon promises and there's prophecy upon prophecy that is fulfilled in Jesus. God is a promise-keeping God. God is trustworthy and God is true. His means of salvation also never changes. God will never come and say, I know that I had this plan that Jesus was going to be the Savior, and I know that that so many people for all of these centuries have been saved in Jesus, but, but now I'm changing things in 2021. Right, 2020, I mean, it was kind of a crazy year. 2021 is a reset, and so I'm going to reset the way that you experience salvation. God does not say that, and God will never say that. It doesn't matter how many years, how many centuries, how many millennia go by. God's promise to save us in Christ will always remain true, and we can always trust in that. We can trust in that for a number of different reasons, and, and we talked about some of those in our, in our Easter service. And so you may go back and, and watch that about Jesus' resurrection and how we can know that the resurrection was a reality. But God is a promise-keeping God. And because of His promises, we can have faith in Jesus, and we can know that this faith is true. And if that is true, then, then we can only become children of God through faith. Not not through works, not through money, not through whatever else it is that we dream up. Faith alone is what makes us a part of God's family. And that tells us then that we all have the ability to become sons of God. Paul says, starting in verse 27, For as many as you for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female for you are all one in Christ Jesus. You see, we're not all born sons of God, but we all have the ability to become sons of God again through faith. And Paul's analogy that he uses here should, should resonate with all of us because we all got up this morning and we, we put on some clothes, right? He's talking about putting on Christ here. And so we all got up this morning, and we all put on some clothes. And while it's something that we do almost automatically, our, our clothes, they, they serve a purpose. Think about that for a minute. First, our clothes provide us with an identity. Whether you think your clothes provide you with identity or not, whether you believe it or not, your clothes provide you with an identity. I mean, you have these people out there who say, oh, I don't want to dress mainstream and I don't want to dress like all these other people. You know, I'm just going to reject all of that and they, they wear all these crazy clothes and do all this crazy stuff with their hair and all this stuff, right? That, that, that is providing them with an identity. They're, they're saying something in that way. So is the, the businessman who dresses in a suit and tie and all of that stuff. It is saying something about who you actually are. Whether you believe that or not, our clothes provide us with an identity. And Paul takes this idea and he applies it to our baptism. See, when we are baptized, we put on Christ. And in this instance, what we are actually putting on is we are putting on Christ's identity. Christ is a son of God. And so we become sons of God because we are connected to Christ in our salvation. Next, when it comes to our clothes, we know that our clothes are always covering us. They don't cover us one moment and and not the other, right? It's not like you know, it's like this hologram that's like glitching out when you're walking around. You know, it's like a oh, one minute you got your clothes on, the next minute you don't, or the one second you do, and the next second you know. They are always. Covering us As long as your clothes are on, they are covering you. And because they're always covering you, they go everywhere that you go. And in the same way that that means when we put on Jesus, he goes everywhere that we go. And that tells us that Jesus never leaves us. Jesus never forsakes us. He is always there and we can always depend on Jesus. Lastly, when it comes to our clothes, we know that our clothes cover our nakedness. And in the Bible nakedness is associated with shame. That means that that Jesus covers our shame. When God looks at us, he doesn't see a sinner who has shamefully sinned against him and said, he sees us as his sons because we are wearing his son. We have put on Christ. That's right. And just as everyone can put on a jacket or a shirt, everyone, no matter their race, their nationality, their gender, their background, they can put on Christ. There are no limits. There are no size restrictions. Jesus is truly a one-size-fits-all. That means that we all have the ability to become sons of God. Now, some may may hear that, and they they may object to Paul's choice of words, right? I mean, it's, it's 2021, after all. Why, why do we keep using this term, sons of God? We've got, we've got women and men. I mean, People might want to change this to children of God to, to better reflect the idea that the men and women could come into the kingdom as well. It's not just a, it's not just a man thing. It, it is a woman thing as well. And, and while it's certainly true that, that women can be a part of the kingdom where no one is is rejecting them, correcting the biblical language might cause us then to to miss the revolutionary idea of what is actually being said here you see in Paul's day in most ancient cultures women they, they couldn't inherit property uh, because they didn't have a uh, they, they weren't considered a legal heir and that might the, the right was solely reserved then for the family sons and Paul tells us that that we are all not just men but we are all sons of god In Christ, all of these barriers that that have been put up by different cultures and different people throughout time, they're they're actually broken down so that we can all become one in Christ. Not only men, but, but women can be a part of God's family and equally so. No one is greater. No one is better than the other. Men and women, Jew and Gentile, slave and free, they are all equal. They are all one in Christ. It doesn't matter who you are, you have the ability to become sons of God. And along with being a part of God's family as sons of God, we are all equally heirs to God's inheritance. You know, it's been a while, but during Christmas, I I watched this movie, Christmas Inheritance, Uh, it was one of those you know, feel-good, romantic-type movies that show up on your Netflix feed during, during Christmas time. And I'd, I'd watched all the other ones that, that seemed better than this one on the Netflix feed. And, uh, and so I was like, you know, I'm going I'm to give it a chance. I'm, I'm going to watch, watch this, this movie. And, and really, it wasn't a bad movie. It's, not a, it's of course, not a blockbuster movie, but uh, it, it really wasn't that bad of a movie at all. Uh, Eliza Taylor plays Ellen. She's a daddy's girl who grew up spoiled in the big city. Her dad owns this huge multi-million dollar home decor business, and she works for the company. And she's notorious for, for pulling all of these different pranks at, at the different company parties to gain attention from the media. She's always in the media. And she was set to inherit her dad's company, but, but he's really rethinking whether he's going to give this company to his daughter or not after the last prank that she had pulled. And in an effort to teach her a lesson, to teach her some responsibility, her dad said, look, this year you are going to deliver the company letter to my business partner. You see, every year, uh, her dad and, and his business partner, they, would, they lived in different cities, and they would get together, and they would talk about the business, and they would each, each bring a letter to deliver to the other one. And this gave them an opportunity not only to reflect on the health of the business, but but it forced them every single year to get together with one another, whether they wanted to do this or not. And in all the years that they had owned the company, which were many years, they hadn't missed one meeting, but this year was going to be different. He was sending his daughter to deliver this letter in his place. The only stipulation was you can't just drive there Put it in the mailbox and drive back. You have to literally hand deliver this and put it in his hand. And as you can imagine, delivering the letter is not as easy as it sounds. If it were, right, it wouldn't make for a good movie. She just drive there, deliver it, and drive back. No, I mean, she gets stuck in this town for weeks and weeks and weeks looking for this guy, trying to find him, trying to put this letter in his hand. And it seems like she just barely misses him at, at each turn. Now, without recapping the whole movie, let's just say she learned some valuable lessons. She fell in love. She completed her mission and she was able to inherit the company. Now, here's the thing and and the point that I want you to take from this. She had to do something to prove herself to her dad, to prove that she was worthy of inheriting the company that he owned. And when it comes to Christianity, the opposite is true. Christians aren't expected to do anything to receive their inheritance. That's because Christ has done it all for us. Look at the text starting in verse 29. If you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he's under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son born of woman born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. You see it's Christ that connects us to the family of God. Not our keeping of the law, not us proving ourselves to be worthy. It's Christ. Christ is the one who connects us to God. He's the one who makes us an heir he's the one that makes it possible for us to inherit the kingdom of god and this of course occurs according to god's plan just like there was a set time in, in paul's day to for the for those in the family to be set free from those guardians who watched over them god had a determined time for christ to come to provide us from freedom for to provide us freedom and we have to ask well well what do we need freedom from what is it that, that has enslaved us? What has, has caused bondage? Why do we need freedom? Well, we learn here it's freedom from the elementary or, or basic things of the world. The elementary principles of the world represent those basic building blocks, those, those basic ideas of the world. Now, when you go to elementary school, you learn, you learn the basics, right? Throughout the rest of your schooling and throughout the rest of your life, like, things are going to be built on those basics that you learn in elementary school. As a student, you don't just, you don't just start in high school um, and, and then graduate in a couple of years. You will be absolutely completely lost. Just like I always tell my kids, right? You, you, you've got to crawl before you run because sometimes they want to run before they can crawl. Um, the same with us. We've got to learn those elementary principles before we can begin to build on those. But those elementary principles are are important. They are the basics. They are the building blocks for life. And there's a similar idea that that is here. Paul refers to these basics, these these basic building blocks of the world. It's the the foundation and the systems that, that the world is built on. In short, we can say it's the basis for how the world thinks and how the world operates. One of the basic ideas of the world is that we can gain what we want by worshiping the created order. If you look at the various world religions, you see that that they worship all kinds of created things, right? They worship the sun and the moon and and the stars, as well as the world pushes us to worship all kinds of gods that are, are attached to things that you want, right? If you want a baby, well, you worship the. The fertility God. If you want success, you worship a God that can provide you with power and, and success and military might. If you want money, you worship a God that can provide you with, with financial riches. And these ideas they, they, they've kind of perpetuated since the beginning of, of the world, since the fall of creation, and they they've come down to us. They, they, might have, they might look a little bit different today. We worship, though, the gods of money and sex and status and career just as well. We hold these things as ultimate, as that which will provide us with meaning and, and purpose in life. But, but these things that, that the world says that we should worship, the world says that we should go after, that is going to provide us with meaning and purpose in life. These things will not provide us with meaning and purpose in life. They cannot provide us with salvation. Instead, we are told that they actually enslave us rather than free us. Take career, for instance. If you believe that your career is what's going to provide you with, with your best life, that's going to provide you with hope and, and joy and relief from this world, you are going to throw everything that you have into your career, which is inevitably means that, that when there comes time for you to choose, Choose between your family and work, or your health and work, or your integrity and work. Well, well if work is what you believe provides you with meaning and purpose in life, work is going to win every time, even if it means that your family life is in crisis, or your health is failing, or you might actually go to jail. You are going to choose work because you are enslaved to it. And the irony is that that which we believe provides salvation and freedom Really shackles and limits us. But that's not so with Christ. Christ he frees us from the elementary principles of the world. And he does this through his sacrifice on, on our behalf. And doing so, he frees us from slavery of the world and makes it possible for us to actually have a relationship with God. We, we are no longer in, in Christ. We are no longer shackled to thinking and acting as the world thinks and acts. We can act as a child of God because we are adopted into God's family through Jesus' work on our behalf. We're now free to think and act as God would have us to think and act. And that is, that's an important idea because God is the one who has created us. God is the one who has designed us. God is the one who has given us meaning and purpose and life. And when we act and we live in the way that God has designed life, goes well for us. We find meaning, we find purpose, because we are living in the way in which we are designed to live. We are accomplishing what the God of this universe, the God who has created us, has set for us to accomplish. See, so when we come to Christ, we actually end up learning new elementary principles. Beginning in Hebrews 5.12, and I don't have the scripture for you on the screen, but beginning in Hebrews 5, 12, we read this, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, now the the writer of Hebrews is kind of getting on to these folks he's writing to, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles, not of the world, but of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food, For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the words of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. The writer of Hebrews is getting on to these folks, right? He's saying, look, there is a time and there is a place for you to have learned the elementary principles of the oracles of God, which differs from the elementary principles of the world. That time and place for you guys should have already taken place. You've been in Christ for a number of years. Now you should actually be teachers of the law. You should be teachers of God's Word. You should be able to share with other people about God. You should be able to talk with them in an educated manner about Christ. But you are not able to do that. You are still drinking milk when you should be eating solid food. He's getting on to them. But what we see here, even though it's negative for them, a positive principle emerges. There is different principles that we learn when we come to Christ. There's a different way that we are to live and to think, in other words. When we come to Christ, our way of of how we do things in this world and what we think provides us with meaning and purpose and what we gravitate towards, these things should change. And so in Christ, we learn new elementary principles. We learn a new way that we are to think and act. He frees us from the elementary principles of the world. He draws us into the family of God where we learn to act and think differently. And that's what makes Christianity unique. But then after adopting us into his family, he doesn't leave us to fend for ourselves. Instead, as sons of God, we experience assurance through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Look at what the text says, starting in verse 6 of chapter 4. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. You see, as those adopted into God's family, we not only experience a restored relationship with the Father and salvation through the Son, but we also experience a relationship with the Holy Spirit, who's the third member of Of the Trinity. He dwells within us. He he bears witness to our relationship with the God with God. One commentator says this the Holy Spirit is the sign and pledge of our adoption, so that by his presence in our hearts we are truly convinced that God is for us and not against us. That indeed He is our Heavenly Father. You see, the Spirit provides us assurance. The Spirit deepens our relationship with God. We aren't left in this state of anxiety or, or wondering whether we are in God's good graces or not. The Spirit works in our life so that we know that we are in God's good graces, so that we know that we are children of God. Our thoughts and our actions and the way that, that we do things, they, they begin to change. We are convicted when we don't live according to God's word. There's there's a love for God. Our our desires change when we come to faith in Christ. This is through the work of the Spirit in our life. And as we see those things changing in us, we know that we are a child of God. Now, I know that within your family, you probably have someone that, that you would consider to be the black sheep, right? Every family has them. Someone who's always in trouble, someone who doesn't do everything right, and at times this person gets shunned by their family. Even though we all have that person, no matter what they do, the, the thing is, they don't stop being a part of your family. They're always a part of your family. Now, as God's children, we aren't, we're never going to be the black sheep. This is an analogy kind of breaks down a little bit, but, but just like the black sheep, are always a part of God's family no matter what. We are always a part of God's family no matter what. We are and we will always be unconditionally loved by our Heavenly Father. We don't have to tiptoe around God's kingdom or, or question whether we, or not we belong. The work of the Spirit in our lives tells us that we belong in God's kingdom. Without a doubt, we are a part of God's family. And what work is Paul talking about with this? Well, Paul specifically says in, in this text, That the Spirit works in our life so that we are able to cry out, Abba, Father. We are able to cry out those words because the Holy Spirit works and, and lives in our life. He helps us to understand. He convinces us that God is for us. God is not against us. That indeed God is our Heavenly Father. And the evidence of this assurance is not miraculous works, it's not visions, it's not tongues, or any other sensational phenomenon. It is simply the fact that we, re- we recognize that God is our Father, that we recognize and rest in the inheritance and the privileges of being His children. And when that is the case, we can be assured that we are a part of God's family. You see, Christianity, it is, it is unique. It's unique because we all have the ability to become children of God through faith in Jesus Christ. As such, we all have an inheritance, one that we can't lose, one that we are assured of by the work of the Spirit in our lives. And so then what we should do, what we should do is rest in our inheritance. We should enjoy the relationship that we have with the Father. We should look forward to what is to come. The eternal life that we will experience with God as our Father and we as His children. Amen. And if you don't yet know that rest, I mean, you can know that rest by repenting of your sins and turning to Jesus as your Lord and, and as your Savior. By, by By forsaking the elementary ideas of this world that you've got to work for your salvation or that you have to serve some other sort of God in order to get something. By turning to Christ. By by repenting of your sins and saying, God, I'm done with rebelling against you. I'm done with thinking that I'm wiser than you. I'm done with thinking that the world is wiser than you. I submit my life to you. I recognize your wisdom. I recognize the salvation that you have provided for me through your Son dying on my behalf. You can be sons, and if we want to say daughters of God as well, today, if you would turn to Christ as your Lord and as your Savior. And if you've done that, and if you have, have turned to Christ, if you would call Him your Father, and rest in the relationship that you have with Him. Rest in them. He is your Father and you are His Son. Rest in the relationship that you have in Christ with the Father. That relationship will never change. Just like you will never be kicked out of your own family, you will never be kicked out of God's family. You can rest. And you can be assured as the Spirit works in your life to cause you to rest. That you are a Son of God. Now in a moment we're going to have a time of response and this is an opportunity for us to worship the Lord, to worship Him for the rest that He provides us in Christ. It's also an opportunity for you to to publicly profess your faith in Christ. So we're going to sing and if the Lord is drawing you this morning, now is an opportunity for you to publicly profess that, that you are Son of God that you believe that Jesus is your Lord and is your Savior. And I'll be standing down here at the front. And so if you'd like to do that this morning, you can come down as we sing and we'll celebrate the work that God is doing in your life. We'll celebrate that you have become a part of the family of God with you here this morning. And if you still have questions, I'd love to talk with you more. I'd love to gather with you this, this week or even today. Even, even just right after the, the service and, and talk with you more about what it means to become a son of God and what Christ has done. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then we'll have a time of response. God, we thank you. We thank you for this message. We thank you for this opportunity to gather together as a church. We thank you, God, that, that you make a way for us not just to experience salvation, freedom from your wrath, but that you make a way for us actually to become a part of your family, to become sons and daughters of God. We inherit the kingdom, God. What a privilege. What an amazing idea that that is. That help us to recognize the privilege that we have in Christ here this morning. Draw us to worship you because of that. And Lord, if there's someone here this morning who doesn't know you or someone who's watching a lot who doesn't know you, God, we ask that you might work in their life. Help them to understand what Christ has done for them so that they might too become sons and daughters of God. In this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.